0: an island off the coast of scotland something was summoned from the depths of hell something that would end
1: mankind
3: and this uh, thing you worried about did it show up
2: oh yes
1: you did face every threat there is, and yet
0: you take me. Hey guys, welcome to A New Winter, Cults and Culture. And today, we're going to be comparing the 2004 version of Hellboy against the 2019 version of Hellboy. The 2004 one was done by Guillermo del Toro. The 2019 one was by Neil Marshall. Um, so if you haven't seen the latest Hellboy and you want to wait to see it before you hear anything about it, then you may want to do that now, because we're going to go deep into spoiler territory. But I'm going to be honest, there's not much to actually spoil. So um, I wouldn't worry too much if you haven't seen the film, because, spoiler, (laughs) right from the off, it's not that good. Um, So I thought we'd start with the latest Hellboy, anyway. And, yeah, because it was uh, deemed a flop, if you don't know already, um, absolutely panned by critics. And I can kind of see why. Um, I mean, Neil Marshall directed it, who I always associate with uh, the fantastic film, to be honest, The Descent, if any of you have seen that. Um, If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend that you go and watch it. Before that, he did Dog Soldiers, which some liked. Um, I didn't really think it was that great, but I kind of liked what it was about. Um, From The Descent, he that kind of raised his profile in the in the States. And he went on to making a string of rather lacklustre films, to be honest, including Doomsday, Centurion. Um, and then he went into TV and directed the infamous Blackwater episode of Game of Thrones. Um, and he did an episode here and there for shows like Black Sails, Constantine, Hannibal, Westworld. Um, so doing Hellboy was, you know, quite a big one for him. It's essentially his kind of return... Into cinema. Um, and to be honest, it's not really a good one. So it stars David Harbour as Hellboy. Uh, he's known for his role as Hopper in Stranger Things. And uh, it's got Mila Jovovich, I don't really know how to say her name, I'm afraid, um, as the evil blood queen. Ian McShane, or Lovejoy, as I like to think of him as, um, is Hellboy's dad, essentially, the leader of this paranormal bureau thing. Um, Daniel Day Kim. Who's from Lost, isn't it? And also the voice of Stephen Graham, who's in This Is England, etc., etc. So, what actually happens? Well, let's get into the plot. We get a little scene right from the beginning where we're told that King Arthur and Merlin have destroyed this Blood Queen who cast a plague over England. Um, Arthur used Excalibur to chop her into pieces and then sent her parts all over the country. Then we cut to present day. Hellboy is going to this wrestling match where there's some. And on his way, there's this really unnatural dialogue, just full of exposition that's just blah. Um, and it's talking about finding this missing, a, missing agent uh, that he knows. So this agent is a, uh, now a wrestler um, who is also now a vampire. Uh, apparently he was looking into vampires down in Mexico or something. And, um, yeah, he's, he's been taken over by them. So gets into a fight with Hellboy in the wrestling ring and somehow gets impaled and what it's just immediately just kind of sums up how stupid um this film really is he gets impaled on one of those you know the basically the corner um posts that they have in wrestling rings are so very blunt usually padded and somehow he, he gets impaled on it but okay fine um and then his like this guy's last uh dying words is something about the end is coming so there's something apocalyptic happening so i mean i should say that, you know as this is kind of the intro scene for uh, this new Hellboy, um harbour's actually a really good hellboy i think um personally and i'll kind of go into this a bit later i don't think he's quite up there with ron pellman but he's okay um i just quite like the way he looks and he's quite deep set eyes he looks a bit more like intimidating maybe um his color is kind of verging on a really neon red which i'm not 100 percent about but um yeah, and also we get a lot of CG in this intro scene. And this is one of the biggest... Well, this is one of my biggest bugbears, anyway, is that the CG in this film is absolutely awful. I mean, it literally looks like something from the early noughties, which is ironic, keeping in mind we're about to talk about the 2004 Hellboy, and, you know, it has CG in that. But, yeah, here, it's 2019, it just looks terrible. So we meet Ian McShane as Hellboy's father, and he's oh, he's really, like, dialing it in. It looks like he, he can't be bothered, basically. Then uh, there's this weird scene where he's helping Hellboy shave his horns and it just looks so fake. And it's just completely, again, just unnatural dialogue. And it's also weird because Ian McShane, he doesn't exactly look that much older than Hellboy. Um, so it's tough to see him as this kind of father figure anyway, because they look about the same age. Also because he's, uh, Ian McShane's character is just a complete twat to him. Uh, supposed to be like, their relationship is supposed to be this emotional hook throughout the film. Um but, yeah, they're just both as bad as each other. They both act like children. They both don't communicate with one another. And, you know, him McShane's character, the dad, isn't, isn't this father figure who, you know, tries and he makes mistakes. He just has no redeeming qualities whatsoever. So it's hard to root for their relationship because you don't really understand it or like it, to be honest. You're not rooting for anyone. You feel Hellboy gets angry, not being like a teenage rebellion against his father kind of thing but just through sheer frustration with his dad's character it's you know i'd probably be acting like that as well whether or not he's my dad or a boss it's ridiculous so hellboy is told that this ancient club of some sort um need hellboy's help to hunt some giants before they reach highly populated areas so hellboy goes to the osiris club i believe it's called finds out that his dad was once with them anyway part of this club um and that actually he was supposed to kill Hellboy when he was born into this world, um, but didn't. And we learn that through this Lady Hatton, this blind seer. Um there's an awful flashback scene where we see Nazis raise Hellboy in what looks like something from a lower low, to be honest. It looks so awful. And the seer comes in with Ian McShane, in a like like they're a married couple or something. It's very strange. And Thomas Hayden Church is there. Who I who's just I thought I was like okay this is another new character, but he's just some random guy who oh, I'm guessing is in the comics um, that kills a bunch of Nazis and we never see him again. It's a waste, really. I don't know. Um, the scene doesn't really tell us anything, uh, but Hellboy seems to like upset his dad, uh, be upset with his dad. Sorry for for never telling him that he was supposed to kill him, and he's angry with him for letting him live or something. I don't really understand why he's getting so angry about it. It's like, oh, you should have told me. It's like, yeah, well, do you want to know that? (laughs) You know, his dad was supposed to kill him and didn't. Like, is that something? Why are you angry with him about that? And also, I remember that there was a whole interview with um, the guy who wrote Hellboy who was saying that this film isn't about the origins of Hellboy because we've kind of had that. And it's like, oh, okay. And then we've got this origin scene, which is by far and away much worse than the 2004 version. So, whatever. So we find out where Hellboy came from, I guess, in some weird way. Um, but while all this is happening and he's having this talk, this pig creature thing goes to some witch to get revenge on Hellboy. And the witch tells him to put put back the pieces of the Blood Queen together and stitch them together so that she can give him the power so he can get his revenge, right? So that's kind of the, well, it's not even a B plot. It's the main plot, but that's kind of happening. That's, that's there. So more new characters, by the way. So then Hellboy goes out with these Osiris Club guys. Um, you know, they ride around on a horse with him. They look at the damage the giants have done. They're, you know, getting nearer and nearer. And then they decide to try and kill Hellboy. Now, there's so much wrong to this that it's hard to kind of know where to begin. So firstly, they say how three giants is no big deal. Um, which is contradictory to what they said earlier, where they're saying, you know, when they tricked him, because they were like, oh, we can't handle three. So and then they're like, Huh, you can't, think we can't even handle three? And it's like, well, the dad was part of the group, right? So when they asked him to help, wouldn't he have thought, oh, three shouldn't be such a big deal, this sounds a bit dodgy. But, okay, let's say he got tricked into it as well, fine. Um, And yeah, why, so why would they lead him towards the giants? Why not just take him anywhere in any open space? It doesn't really matter because the problem is, is that the giants kill them and that's how Hellboy kind of escaped. So, you know, if it wasn't for the giants being around, they would have actually killed Hellboy, which I think was the whole point anyway, to stop this weird apocalypse. So, but th- yeah, so they die. So I guess three was too much anyway, wasn't it? <laughs> they said, oh yeah, we can handle three. And they obviously can't because they got killed. Um, and yeah, also if they're really, you know, if, if you really got to kill these giants, if that's part of the thing, why not get Hellboy to help them and then kill him after that? And at least, and then he'd be like weaker, if anything, I just don't get it. So yeah, Hellboy wakes up, takes on the giants and kills them before passing out. Whilst this kid takes him home. I don't know how she's managed to move him. Um, but still, so we're introduced to another new character, characters called Alice, who's a medium and, She's probably the worst actress I've ever seen. <laughs> so <laughs> how can they find someone so bland and also so posh that lives in a council estate? So this, Alice is the, Alice is the baby. Alice is this baby that Hellboy saved that the pig thing that we've seen tried to impersonate so that it could be brought up as a human. So it's like a changeling. Um, what, what a coincidence. And it suddenly, a SWAT team of some sort break in and attack Hellboy. And then we realise it's actually Ian McShane and his team. So these are his colleagues. So it's like, what? This, so it's just a ridiculous excuse to try and shoehorn some action in. And so then we're introduced to another character called Ben. He's uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, Kim, who is an agent working for Hellboy's dad, basically. Um, it's going to help them out. So they go back to the Osiris club and they find the pig boy who's taken the blood queen's arm. That's there. Um Blood Queen turns up in some kind of spirit form and tries to explain to old boy what they're trying to do and he's special and all this stuff. Um, and then, yeah, whatever doesn't work out. So they, they go back to HQ where <laughs> Pigmo Pig Mo from EastEnders <laughs> is running the outside of it. So EastEnders is a long-running, for those that don't know, a long-running British soap opera um, that's based in London, the East End of London, hence EastEnders. It's all very Cockney, whatever, and all this stuff. And it's a, it's known to be, like, a little bit more darker and serious than other ones. Anyway, Big Mo is a character. If you don't know, Big Mo is actually also Gary Oldman's sister. Um, so she's in it, and it's just stupid. But <laughs> whatever. So um, <laughs> it's just so ridiculous. So, yeah, they go into the HQ, um, and they're having a bit of, a, like, a, a, a catch-up. We see... Ben has now gone to get some kind of special bullet to kill Hellboy with, which makes us automatically distrust him and not like the guy. It's such a weird scene to put in and it doesn't really pay off that much later apart from to have like a little mini ticking clock. It's weird. So Hellboy and his dad have an argument about how his dad was sent to kill him and all that stuff. They go over that. is then transported to the witch from before. Don't really know why. And then we see some horrific things about eating children and all this stuff, which I thought was quite cool actually, but clearly done for effect and then Hellboy makes a deal about giving her his eye in exchange for the blood queen's location so immediately after that goes back on his deal when he finds out um, where she is and a fight breaks out and i quite like the witch's character i like the way she looks she's all super horrible and creepy and the way she moves is quite disgusting um she's one of the better elements of the film if to, to be honest so even though this scene is completely ridiculous and superfluous i quite like um how she looks and acts and her as a character i suppose uh, but yeah she's completely not needed so uh the, she curses him um to lose a loved one uh or whatever and then he's sent back to hq so they go to this location and for some reason it's just three of them i don't know why they don't have more or we'll send back up um and the other two get waylaid by zombies we find out that um ben uh then kim's character was like his the sole survivor of some attack in a jungle by this beast when it's, it looks a bit like predator whatever um and you know hey guess what he's the beast we find that out later and it's so fucking obvious and he keeps taking these injections it's like right okay um so yeah that reveal is completely lame when it happens uh so the left by himself to go take on this blood queen um he's with this pig boy thing and so the blood queen is now fully back together she's at full health um, she says she doesn't want to kill Hellboy. They're supposed to be together and rule as king and queen. Hellboy doesn't buy it, basically. Um, and then Alice turns up, shouting, Hellboy, whatever, idiot. So Blood Queen throws some twig of a stupid crown and it hits this Alice in the neck. Hellboy rushes over. Oh my God, no, whatever. And she disappears. Um, so they go, some random witch takes them to um, uh, Merlin, basically Merlin's tomb, Merlin wakes up, uh, cures Alice and tells Hellboy that he's actually the bloodline of King Arthur and is actually able to conjure up Excalibur in, in the stone for Hellboy to take it. But Hellboy gets visions of ruling a fiery London and doesn't take it up. So Merlin is like, you know, man, that was my last bit of power, you idiot. God's sake. And then he crumbles into dust. Um, They go back to HQ and they see everyone's dead basically. And, and uh, Hellboy's dad's gone. They go to St. Paul's. I can't even remember how they know to go to St. Paul's, but they go there. And that's in London, by the way. It's the big church in London. Um, and the Blood Queen's going around London and spewing out all this plague stuff and whatever. So they run into the pig boy, who's now become like super beef and uh, he's huge. And so they Ben becomes the beast thing and they fight this guy. And the pig, pig, uh, pig man is about to kill Hellboy and Blood Queen is like, no, stop. And basically kills the pig guy. See ya. Um Hellboy finds himself in King Arthur's tomb, because gets smashed through the floor, whatever, and Excalibur's there, it's convenient. Um so then his dad comes over and tries to dissuade him or whatever, and sits standing right next to Blood Queen. Like they're both like looking in. It's just so weird. Um and the Blood Queen just kills the dad, she literally goes <laughs> <laughs> on his neck, it's like that and dies. <laughs> and so in anger, Hellboy basically pulls the sword out and suddenly hell opens up, and these other the cool-looking animals and creatures, I should say, sorry, that um, come up and just basically start killing folk, London people. Um, and then Ben is about to pop a shot to kill Hellboy with his magic bullet, but Alice calls forth the dad from the dead in this weird, like, mouth ulcer way. and It's completely like CG. Oh, God, it's just so horrible, the CG here. Um, and basically, this... <laughs> Ian McShane is essentially... Telling Hellboy to man up. So it's a continuation of this toxic masculinity. There's no like, you know what, son, I've treated you harshly. Or maybe does say this, but I didn't get the impression across. I've treated you harshly. I love you. You can do this or whatever and stuff like that. It's more like, come on, be a man. You don't have to give in to fate. Fate doesn't dictate you and all this stuff. It's supposed to be this like, I don't know, enthusiastic, rip-roaring speech or whatever. But it's, I don't know. Just I was just like, why has he been such a dick all the time? It just get me annoyed. Um, And Hellboy's like, I'm not ready. And he's like, yes, you are. You're ready. You can do this. Um, But whatever. So uh, Hellboy kills the Blood Queen using Excalibur, I think, I believe again as well, um, and throws her head into hell. And him and the dad have their little moment. Um, We then cut to six months later. And Hellboy, Alice and Ben have this crappy fight in like a 90s music video, it looks like, where she basically where they basically just slaughter some scientists or something and find a tank, which we presume Abe is in. And that's it. That's the film. That's Hellboy 2019. <laughs> it's awful. It's really bad. If it's really like, it's part of me which is like, if it's if the hook, like what was it? What was the story they were telling here? Because it's interesting the father and son dynamic or something like that. But the dad's a dick. He doesn't change. Hellboy doesn't really change either. No one changes. There's no lessons learned, really. Like, Hellboy hasn't learned how to become responsible or learning that he actually loves his father because he's just getting annoyed at him for nothing, really, apart from the fact that his dad's, you know, he just is a bit of a dick. Um, But the thing which seems to really get his goat is that he didn't tell him um, that he was there to kill him. And it's like, I kind of get that you might be like, but I'd be more like relieved. More like, oh, you know, what a good turn. Not get angry at him for it. What am I angry at him for? For not saying. It's like, why does it matter? Like, why, when's a good time to bring that up? Especially when, you know, someone like Helper kicks off all the time. I don't know. So that was weird the other character, I'm like, I don't really even understand what's supposed to happen with the other characters. Like, what is, and the whole King Arthur, oh yeah, I I can't remember if I said he's supposed to be King Arthur's bloodline or whatever, like, Hellboy's mum was a human and had sex with the devil when they gave birth to Hellboy. Something like that. It's just, God, it's just so bad. It's really bad. Um, It's just, it's boring, it's nonsensical. There's way too many characters and yeah, it is gory, actually, but it's bad gore. And, you know, sometimes that was one of the things coming in. It was like, this Hellboy is going to be gory. it's like, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be good, does it? And they say, oh, it's going to be darker. It's totally not darker, especially when you compare it to 2004, one, which we will do. That one is darker, literally, visually, and just all over. Like, this one is not dark. I mean, most of it does take place in the, in the daylight. It's stupid. So... As I said before, the CG looks cheap, the acting is dire, it's really bad. Uh, Harbour actually does really hold the film together. And to be honest, Mila Javaric does what she does best. She hams it up quite nicely. Um, she doesn't take it too seriously, which is perfect, basically, for that. That's what you needed. Some of the monster creations are cool. Um, it's a shame they weren't executed better, but okay. Um, and, you know, it's a little tip for film- filmmakers out there. Set more of it in the dark if your CG looks shit. <laughs> It's a very, very simple, it's very simple thing where if you have bright lights shining on your CG or whatever it takes place in the daylight, you are going to make it look worse than if it was set in dark. Especially when it's something like Hellboy, which doesn't necessitate that it happens during the day. Anyway, the story's a mess. Motivations and plot devices are just nonsense and inconsistent. There's just not that much enjoyable stuff going on. It's not funny. The action scenes are rare, and to be honest, they're not that great either. So it really does get very boring very quickly. Um, even though Hellboy creator Mike Mignola is his name, was originally um, involved, it was Andrew Consby who got the writing credit. And I think I actually had a chat with him a while ago with uh, one of my old um, companies I used to work for. We were doing something with Boom Comics, Boom Studios, um, which he's the founder of, I believe. And yes, yeah, so that's quite interesting. Really nice guy. But. Um, yeah, I don't think he's done. I tried to, I had a brief look into this. I don't think he's actually had a proper full on feature writing credit and it it shows. Sorry to say. Um, and apparently the production itself was messy. The studio apparently fired the original cinematographer that Marshall chose. And even though the official statement is that it was a group decision, rumors have still suggest that Marshall was unhappy with that decision, unsurprisingly. Um, apparently the producers, uh, namely Lloyd Levin, uh, would give actors different directions for Marshall. Uh, during all processes of the shoot actually to be honest, apparently from castings to read throughs to actual filming. Um apparently Harbour would walk off the set, which I don't like the idea of because I like Hopper and I like Harbour, so I don't want to think that he's just like some you know, dickhead actor. Um but who knows what happened. So him and Mick shane would apparently make up dialogue on the spot. The script is being constantly amended, which does happen, but apparently this was a noticeable difference. Um, you know, whilst they were shooting, I should say. And uh, since release, I believe it's made um, just over $40 million worldwide, and it had a budget of 50 So it will, like all these films, it will make it up at some point, but I think you can safely say that it's a flop. It got panned by the critics, as I said. Harbour was quite vocal about the fact that he tried his best. Jovovovich uh, thinks that it may receive cult status in the future due to her older films having the same effect, Resident evil. And to be honest, I with the first Resident Evil it was bad but I still weirdly enjoyed it and it had a story um but this one is nothing like that they can't compare it um yeah so that's the 2019 Hellboy it's terrible and it's dire so now let's get on to the 2004 version of Hellboy watch your hands on elbows pardon Welcome to the Bureau
2: for Paranormal Research and Defence. There are things that go bump in the night, Agent Myers. And we are the ones who bump back.
3: Hellboy. Well, come on in. Meet the rest of the family.
0: So, the 2004 version of Hellboy um, did really well to be honest, and for good reason, and we'll go into why. It had Ron Pellman as Hellboy. Uh, You might know him from things of Sons of Anarchy. Uh, He's done a lot of stuff with Del Toro before in the past as well. Um, John Hurt stars as the uh, Professor. Um, And uh, Selma Blair stars as Liz. And uh, Jeffrey Tambor is in it as well as the kind of head FBI honcho. Um, I think his name's Tom Manning. Doug Jones, who um, people know, works a lot with uh, Del Toro as well. He's a very tall, skinny man. He does a lot of the prosthetic... Um, he's in a lot of the prosthetic suits, and he's in, uh, for instance, the new Star Trek series. Um, he plays the alien captain. I can't remember his name in that. And there might be some other people that um, y- you recognise, but those are kind of the main uh, the main pieces. So, yeah, it's so released April the 6th, 2004. Um, and... Mike uh, Mignola, uh, Mignola, sorry, who is the creator of Hellboy," uh, said that he, he enjoyed it and he liked it. Um, and it grossed uh, 59.7 million, it says here, um, in, in North America alone, and 39.7 million in the rest of the world, and it had a budget of 60 66 million. So uh, it did well, did really really well for, for the first one. I believe Hellboy 2 did even better, um, but it was, it was pretty good. It got um, good uh, scores. Uh, when it came out, the critics seemed to like it, the people seemed to like it. Um, it, uh, yeah, and, and since then, um, it's known as one of the better uh, superhero movies, especially at a time before the whole Marvel thing kicked off. So, what actually happens? So, so straight off the bat, you get a little uh, bit of scripture which talks about basically an ap- apocalypse kind of coming. So already there's something epic kind of going on here and the film hasn't even really started yet. Um, the intro bit is narrated by John Hurt's character, who's the professor. Um, and yeah, he kind of pulls you in as you go through this storm I'm um, talking about, you know, big things happening, changing the course of history. Um, and you know, in fact, that think something at that night changed his life forever, all this stuff. And then we get into what looks like a war film so it's really rainy it's really dark it looks great especially compared to that god awful scene in the latest one um this really feels like you know some soldiers getting ready to pounce on the castle so already you're in you kind of feel like i'm engaged with this this is cool um you find out that the professor is like a pacifist and all this stuff he's an intellectual. Um, but he also uh, believes in God. There's a Jesus thing. Um, Jesus thing. There's a cross with Jesus on looking down at him. He's got these beads, which play an important part later. Um, and yes, yeah, so he's a, a religious man of science, um, which is helpful in this film. So what's good is that they kind of tell us a lot of what's going on here whilst they're moving. And I always call it like the kind of the Terminator effect where... Um, like Carl Reese in that talks about the future and what's happening and all this stuff and puts a lot of the context of the film whilst they're being chased. So you're not just, it's not just people standing there talking about stuff. And if you compare it to like the star Wars prequels, where it's the whole thing is constantly two people walking down a corridor or in a room with loads of special effects going on behind them. And they're just talking about context, uh, exposition, sorry. Um, and there's nothing happening. It's just them talking about stuff that you don't really care about. But with this one, you know, they're talking about it as they're kind of moving and you're seeing things visually and that make sense. It's kind of to do what they're talking about. Um, so, yeah, yeah they're uh, at these ruins in this Scottish castle. The Nazis have taken it over and you see this assassin Nazi, Nazi I'm going to call him, who... You know it's like just he looks like a gimp essentially, but he's got his gas mask, it's all like um PVC kind of thing. Uh, he's got his like long trench coat, his Nazi cap, and you know, not saying Nazis are cool, but it's like he's a very stylistic, he's a very um, you know, he kind of draws your attention. He's, he, he's a visually arresting character. Um, so I'm already in, and I'm like, who the hell is this bad guy? He looks fucking evil, It's great. Um, so there's a brief moment uh, between the Nazi woman and this mystic, who we find out it's Rasputin. Um, and then he talks about her, um, you know, serving him and the, you know, living forever or whatever and all this stuff. So just in this one exchange, it's very quick. You get a lot of stuff in and all of a sudden you're engaged in this weird, like um, romance between these two characters you've not met or anything before, but you just feel that kind of passion comes over and, um, and yeah so anyway they're kind of talking about how uh they're trying to engage this power that will you know destroy their enemies and they've been working on it for five years which is you know this is world war ii now so that's from the beginning of the war maybe um depending where this was and so they open up this portal to another dimension um and there's these cool creatures kind of lurking and there's something it's a light that kind of goes through the portal and it kind of knocks on the eye or whatever of this cool enemy. So it's much more grandiose already immediately. Um, and the action scenes as the good guys attack, they're cool. Like, and the assassin Nazi guy has these like knives in his arms and he's doing all this like cool ninja shit. Um, and yeah, meanwhile, the doctor guy, um, is trying to slowly make his way to the grenade so he can throw it against the portal. Um, and yeah, whilst it blows up, the um, assassin guy can't get there in time. He's impaled on the side. looks like he might've died. Uh, is dragged into this portal and then they look and uh, the assassin guy's just disappeared. Ooh, where's he gone? Um, and then they talk about, you know, where's this portal going to? And then it's like, you know, it was hell basically. But he doesn't, he's saying there are things like hell. So he's just saying it's like an evil dimension um, that would be known as hell. Uh, which is kind of cool, like scientific slash religious kind of way of looking at it, um, which kind of ticks both boxes. So
3: if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers.
2: Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
0: Um, they find Hellboy, who's like this little baby. And at that moment in time, you kind of understand why they're looking after it, because it's super cute. Um, and... You know, it doesn't look like it's threatening or anything like that, and he's like this pacifist. He's made; he's already explained that, so it makes sense that he takes Hellboy in and all this stuff, and because he's a scientist as well. So th- that's already an explanation, really, for for all that stuff that's happened. And this could be a short. That could have been a little short film in itself, and I'd have been interested in it. Um, so already, we've got this great, strong intro, which is really visually exciting. We've had all the plot points kind of ticked. We know what's going on. And then we have the title sequence, which the background looks a bit ropey. It looks like something from Doom or something like that. I don't know. Um, it's like made on Windows 95. But um, you get these news clippings as time is passing of Hellboy scene here. And you get like audio things and um, and all this stuff. That, so it's kind of to tell you about the world that we're in. And it's just to really quickly kind of get you up to speed with the now, that what's happened in, in between... Um, the scene we just had in the present. Um, and that's really good. So then we see, uh, we're in Moldavia. Um, and it's all like snowy and that's another good thing about this film is there's loads of different locations and, uh, and all this stuff. So it feels a bit like an Indiana Jones movie at times where they're kind of skipping around the globe. It's quite cool. Um, you see the Nazi woman and the assassin guy and they kill their guide essentially and this blood comes in and then a bit like Hellraiser, um, rasputin just kind of rises up uh and then we cut to the doctor who's now old he's told he hasn't got long to live um and he's got these like tarot cards it's all about second opinion and he does a tarot card and it's a death card and it's like you know that is his second opinion essentially so you can tell he's still kind of with the mystic arts even though he's still slightly religious or whatever and all this um which is quite interesting uh you see jeffrey temple who i forgot was in this um he's the head of special ops or whatever and he's weird he's on his talk show. Does that, is that a thing that happens in America? I don't know. Do you get head of departments, the FBI in talk shows? I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, he's, he's a great kind of comedy actor. Um, and well, you know, he, he's been, he's had a lot of scandals around him recently, but, um, you know, when I think about the work he's done, uh, I have found him funny and so that's, you know, as much as I'm going to say about that. Um, so Yeah. Uh, he's kind of a bit of the comic relief as such for for the film Um, and a bit of a foil for like the internal kind of uh, arguments that kind of happen within this um, bureau. So this new guy, John Myers, I think his name is, turns up and there's all this kind of modern looking equipment. There's a big hall, a bit like Men in Black style, he's taken down and everything is big. It's full of wonder and excitement. You don't know what's going to happen next. It's all... Big sets, it looks cool, it's like super detailed. Um and you know, you could you could tell it's like from a director that cares about what, what he's actually making. Um you meet Ave, this super smart, knowledgeable um fish creature. Uh, and you know, you meet the doctor and he says about, you know, in the absence of light, dark prevails, there are things that go bump in the night, we're the ones that bump back. What a great little way of summing up exactly everything they do without going Going to town about it, so he kind of gives him a brief synopsis of how it started up. The fact that Hitler was involved with the occult, so they set up this uh, bureau basically, Um, and so they kind of try and put it a little bit in like the real world history. It's quite interesting, Um, and then they see this big safe. uh, Inside is Hellboy, and you know they're looking at the comics. It's like I hate those comics books; you never get the eyes right, which I thought was quite funny because it's like this element of like CG and Uncanny Valley or whatever, and all this stuff. It's almost like you know, knocking CG because there's a lot of practical effects that kind of go on here. Um, and yeah, so you see him lifting weights, you hear about him breaking out to go see her. I mean, you see this woman on the screen, so that's Liz. Um, it's a bit creepy, uh, but it's to establish a, a history that there's more than what you're seeing. There's more bigger world here that you're kind of enveloped in. Um, and it's also a plot point. So it kind of works on two levels. And I like the way it's kind of, you know, like, red and blue. There's a lot of reds and blues. It's a very colourful film, um, which, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, like, took that to the extreme, for instance. Um, And I think that colour in film sometimes gets a bit lost. So, like, you know, the reason why I bring up Guardians of the Galaxy is because people often say, like, X-Men was one of the greatest superhero films of all the time. Why didn't... Why can't they do more with it like they did with Marvel? But the thing with Marvel is that Marvel went full into, like, the comics in a sense of they went with the costumes, they went with the bright colours, whereas DC and essentially, you know, Fox, really, never really did that, and that's something they missed out on because essentially they weren't being faithful to the comics or the comic crowd and why it engages people. So that's why I like this. And over the 2019 is one as well, because that looks quite bland, so there's not that much colour, whereas this one, there's bright colours, you feel something, it feels like it's jumping off the screen at you. Um, so anyway, uh, so there's, they kind of meet and there's a way. there's a call for them to get into action. Um, you, on the way there, you see Abe and, uh, Hellboy bickering, which is cool. Um, cause it kind of shows that their relationship, that they're familiar. Um, yeah. she says about her, you know, it says about Liz leaving him and all this stuff. And they talk about, he talks about being trapped. Hellboy, this is, um, so obviously he's got a bit of a, um, it has got a bit of problem <laughs> at the moment. Uh, so yeah. Um, is very sarcastic. I really like his human. I think it's much funnier than the 2019 film. Um, it's just a better script. Um, and I think it was Guillermo del Toro that wrote it as well. And you can really see that. So this big ugly creature turns up. Abe talks about, you know, that it's a creature that resurrects or whatever. It's like kind of giving him Intel, the Chloe in this situation, if this was 24. um, And then, yeah, fight the creatures. There's a lot of practical stuff here. There are bits of CG, but because it's dark and the way they use it, it's done really super well, much better than it's done in the 2019 release. We see Rasputin briefly, he says hello. Uh, And then, yeah, the human, the new guy, uh, John, saves Hellboy um, by shooting the monster's tongue thing. And, you know, so already we kind of started to like him because he's brave and all this stuff, fearless. Um, The creature runs off, there's a chase scene, and um there's lots of kind of comedy bits in this as well like he keeps getting hit by the train as he's laying down the train driver gets <laughs> praised by all the people in the train because he hit hellboy in the head all this stuff is quite funny you anyway, know he kills the um ugly creature thing and there's two small souls that kind of separate and I'm like, oh, right, okay well wow. um so rasputin now has eyes i don't really understand the eye thing i don't know where that came from or that's the thing but it's got these eyes back. Um, he gets the two monsters now, gets their souls and makes them physically appear. And they talk about there's only like seven days until the eclipse or something. So we've got like a ticking clock. Um we see a young couple kissing and he's got booze. Basically, Hell Hellboy steals that, goes to see Liz, and you, and that's just kind of trying to reflect the fact that he wants like this normal relationship with Liz, which he just basically hasn't got. Um Yeah, and it's quite quite sweet in its own way. So they have a little chat. Jeffrey Turnbull turns up, says, you know, it's kind of like Billy Bigshot, he's got a cigar. He's kind of like this weird version um, of Hellboy in that he's, uh, you know, the the nasty, selfish kind of, you know, I'm in charge, I get really angry and all this stuff. Um, So later on when they kind of become friends, that's kind of him making peace with his angry side, if that makes sense. And I might be reading too much into that, but that's kind of how I felt by the end of it. Um, anyway, that happens later. So we see um, Abe show the Doctor um, what happened in this flashback scene, and you see the uh, the assassin ninja, um, and he's like winding himself up. Now it's kind of this cool like clockwork thing. It uh, takes loads of bullets, um, and he kills everyone <laughs> basically uh and yeah and whilst all this is happening you see them steal the what's it um abe finds out that the doctor's sick so i can't tell hellboy liz tells hellboy that you know whilst they're in this chat that she's starting to control power and if she really if he really loves her she'll just leave him alone so he's a bit like conflicted so he wants to see her but he kind of understands. so again it's about kind of this coming of age almost like learning to be responsible and respect other feelings that maybe you're not in control um and yeah it's just it's interesting so they come to get a hellboy and the new guy john gives liz a little look they share a look and the doctor actually notices this look which doesn't really come into play later but it's just to show that it's like i thought it was interesting because it's like oh oh do they like each other and then you see the doctor looking and you think well he thinks like that he's thinking the same as i am so it kind of confirms it reconfirms this inkling that you had so even though the Doctor doesn't say or do anything about it later, he's there like you are because he's witnessed it as well. So it's just to kind of, you know, underline the fact that there was a little moment, there's a little moment there. Um, so, yeah, yeah, find out that um, this creature's latched onto Hellboy for like five seconds, and that time it laid like three eggs. And he says something like, didn't even buy me a drink. It's funny. I like that line. It's good. Um, we get a little uh, bit more context on Liz as uh, John... Looks up on about files and all this stuff and kind of looks into it a bit. Meanwhile she gets paid a visit in her hospital thing uh, by Rasputin who makes her burst into flames and basically kill people essentially. And there's all these trees with plastic bags on the outside, it's weird. I don't know why they do that. That must be a gardening thing. Um So yeah, John turns up and he's like, Oh, I think I can get her to come back. You know, I think I can do it. Hellboy's a bit like, Shut up, like, who the hell are you? You've just come in here, whatever. It gets really annoyed at him. Um and, yeah, so that John's, like, says to the doctor, I don't think I should be here. Like, he doesn't like me. And the doctor's like, I'm going to die, <laughs> okay? I'm going to die, and I need someone with him that's, like, pure of heart. Like, there's age-old stories about young knights, pure of heart and all this stuff, and I think you're it. And he's like, well, I'm not, whatever. And they're like, yeah, you are. You're, like, you're a good guy. You've got to teach him how to be a man. And I'm a bit like, well, he's, like, younger than him. Like, you know, okay? So, I don't know. So that was a bit strange. And also it's like pure of heart but yeah, he's kind of flirting with the guy's girlfriend isn't he yeah. so um i don't really understand that bit that much but okay right i get it he's supposed to be like the young classic hero in this thing that hellboy has to learn to be fine um anyway they talk to uh, he john guy talks to um, liz and she's like oh i always come back i always come back i always go away and I come back um so we get a sense that yeah she's going to come back uh we then see, um, as Hellboy and Abe are making their, through the, their way through the subway and trying to look for these eggs or whatever, we see the Nazi assassin. We see his like, fucking scary, horrible eyes under his mask as he's kind of hearing people coming. Um, and yeah, Hellboy gives Abe some kind of charm. He's like, oh, the monster's down there. should leave you alone. Watch, you've got this on. She's so like, okay, great. He goes down under the water and he's looking at his eggs. He's picking up all these eggs. And then he drops the charm and uh he gets attacked so anyway there's this little like cool underwater chase scene it's very green and it feels like you're underwater like as well um it's not just like absolutely clear it's really murky and green and horrible and i really like that and also it works for the cg side of it as well um so anyway hellboy fights this monster in the subway kills him uh the ninja assassin kills the security guard and then acts as if he's dead so when hellboy gets back it's like oh quick you know you've got to take him all back to hq or whatever Liz and John make their way back to HQ and they have this like nice little moment. Where they're taking photos of each other, or whatever, and all this stuff. Oh, how lovely. Oh, are they falling in love? We're not sure. Is there going to be a love triangle? Maybe. Um, so Abe seems to be okay. Uh, Jeffrey Tambor is quite dismissive of Hellboy, winds him up a little bit. Hellboy gets angry and basically um, throws this thing out the window, and everyone sees it and everyone's annoyed at him, which is like oh, typical Hellboy. He's angry, can't believe it. And you kind of see the downtime, which I quite like, because they give these moments of like reflection um, within the characters where they're like having this chat during their downtime. But, yeah. Um, it cuts to the uh, assassin, injured assassin, He's on the on the table getting looked at, and they're poking around in the professor's ears and saying, oh, his blood's made of dust, and he was addicted to surgery. And he runs on clockwork, essentially, and he just looks all fucked up. He's got no lips, no eyelids, whatever. It's really fucking cool. And it's like horrific, to be honest. That's what I really like about Del Toro. Is he's always, he's never afraid to kind of border on that horror. Which, well, same as Hellboy, really, in terms of the comics and stuff as well, I believe. So, yeah. Um, meanwhile, John and Liz go get some coffee at night. Hellboy goes out, follows them, super envious. And she's like taking pictures of him, and Hellboy's getting really annoyed. Like, oh, she takes a picture. You take a picture, I can't believe it. And all this stuff, which you kind of get, it's like, that's a bit weird. And also, cause he's obviously very aware of how he looks. So this guy's like a dashing young man. Who's not like this big red monster. So, you know, I imagine that's even why it's such a thing for him as well. Um, anyway, uh, the assassin wakes up, um, comes down. Rasputin is now there. The, uh, professor, um, is like, Oh shit, <laughs> I'm going to die. Aren't I? um, And yeah, Rasputin shows the professor like this apocalyptic wasteland, wasteland with Hellboy at the top with his crown, and it's like this is the future, this is what's going to happen, whatever. Um, And they talk about you know he's going to open the portal and all this stuff, and the doctor's like, nope, he's my son. I don't care what people, other people call him, you know, he's he's my boy, kind of thing. He's my boy. Um, Anyway, they kill him, so he's dead, uh, and they kind of allow time to kind of happen here, so they reflect on it, so. There's a funeral for the doctor. It's all very dramatic. Hellboy's obviously really upset, but they kind of just have these little kind of montage sequences, these little vignettes, rather than like a whole thing of like, I'm angry or like anything like that. Um, and it's quite nice. So now we're in Russia. Rasputin has this stone to open up this portal. Um, Hellboy and their team uh, follow. Basically, they go there as well, they go to this graveyard. And Hellboy has this mystical thing. He gets this um, skeleton that basically puts on his back, who again is some kind of comic relief. It's just funny. It's just weird, all these things. It's great. Uh, they go into a tomb, and it's basically a trap. It's a, like a Tomb Raider slash um, uh, Indiana Jones type thing. So, Jeffrey Tambor is kind of like the bad dad. As I said, it might be um, a representation of Hellboy's kind of childishness, maybe. Um, but he's just very angry. He's kind of pushing authority. Like, no, you do this, you do that. And there's this cool scene with a swinging hammer taking out this bridge. Um, But they get across, you know, Hellboy saves him, whatever, and, you know, plays the good guy. And there's a cool bit where, like Indiana Jones kind of getting his hat at the last second as his door closes, Hellboy whips in his tail, um, which is quite cool. So they see the Nazi assassin guy again. uh, Jeffrey Tambor almost gets killed. Um, And then both him and Hellboy uh, almost fall into this trap. with spikes at the bottom. Tambor climbs out and he helps kill the nazi guy by throwing cogs at him or whatever um and yeah they look down and they have this like bonding moment over a cigar which is quite nice so they've kind of resolved their issues as such uh liz and uh, john come across loads of those monster things that you know we saw earlier hellboy smashes his way down to come uh, help save them um liz tells john to hit her uh, to get her angry and she does and she basically goes flame on um anyway she bursts out with all this fire and whatever and they wake up presputing's tied them all up sucks the soul or something from liz um hellboy becomes all like ragey uh he um gets out of this thing that he's trapped in um his his horns come there's a suddenly a fiery crown and he opens uh there's like two places to put his hands so he opens the portal half of the portal and this huge monster starts to like come down And then the new guy, um, John, has the beads that um, the professor had. He's like, remember who you are. And he throws the beads to Hellboy um, before he unlocks the final lock. uh, And it burns a cross in Hellboy's hand, which I thought was quite cool. um, Because in a weird way, it's to show that inherently he's evil because it's like it's burnt a cross in his hand. But he's looking at it because you know, he's thinking of his dad um, and how much he adores him and stuff. So it's really cool the way that it's literally a physical representation of how he's uh, kind of moved away. He's consciously decided to go away from his... what he's supposed to be. He's this monster or something like that to be more than that. And even though that thing in his hand hurt him, he doesn't look at it because it hurts. He looks. He looks at it because it reminds him of his dad. And that's the humanity winning over his innate natural um fate as such uh which is kind of the, the whole point right so he remembers remembers his dad um and yeah it's quite a touching little moment which in any other film is usually the sign of like you know like exorcist or something pushing the cross up and it burns and all this stuff and in a really cool way it's used to something quite loving um which is great when you know when you think about it. so Rasputin starts ordering Hellboy to open it, um, and obviously we, we realize Hellboy doesn't really like being talked to like that, um, which is quite funny. So he breaks his horns off, he kills Rasputin with one of its horns, um, which is pretty cool. Uh, the portal um, cl- closes up, that monster kind of disappears, and then weirdly, this like thing from the end of Prometheus. <laughs> if I remember, comes out of Rasputin and just starts growing. Um, the Nazi woman comes over, she starts kissing him. oh, my love, my love, whatever. And then they both seem to be killed. Um, Hellboy uh, makes sure Liz and John are safe. She's like, oh, you know, look after her, get her back there, whatever. No, don't don't worry about me. Um, and then the monster pulls him back for this kind of, like, epic fight against this huge creature. And what's kind of key with this is it doesn't last too long. It doesn't need to um and the CG here doesn't look too bad it's still of its time but compared to the Hellboy 2019 which looks worse um Mm. then I think you know you know it's 15 years old now and that's I still think that looks pretty good um anyway he kind of gets swallowed so he gets kind of sacrificed as such the belly of the beast um the grenades sets them off blows them up uh so yeah it's a really quick final battle um and it could be to a point where i was a bit like that it felt like it ended quite quickly but it was a long film it's two hours 12 so you know um not surprised uh and it ends with him and liz kissing and kind of john looking on and they're kind of he's kind of fine with that because they never really you know they kind of explore a little bit early because he's like you know you don't like me like that do you and she's like oh my god men are all the same so there's no like actual talk about whether they did like each other. And it's like, well, maybe this might happen in a future thing. It doesn't. Um, but I liked it just, even though it kind of didn't go anywhere, it was never really supposed to. And yeah, I just quite enjoyed that aspect of it, but there was something that made me think this guy's a little bit creepy, but fine. So yeah, it's got, um, it's a lot of like location variety in there. I think it's just much better film. It's much better, um, produced. It's just cooler, to be honest. And, um, I think the directing is great. Visually, it works really well. You can tell a lot of time and effort and energy went into it. And that's, you know, what you get with someone like Del Toro. As compared, and i to say, like Neil Marshall, as much as people, he can blame the studio for it and say, like, oh, it's studio's fault, and maybe he's not officially said that, but still, that's what the rumours are. There's an element where it's like, well, don't do it then. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like... If you're, there are directors, there are auteurs and there are directors for hire. Um, and it, you can be either. You can be either. But don't get upset when you want to be an auteur when you know you're being used as a director for hire. Um, and that sounds really, that sounds like a really dick thing to say, doesn't it? Um, because, you know, there are people out there who, every auteur is still a director for hire. And I, I realize that. But there's an element where it's like, um, you know, you get like David Lynch, who decided not to do the latest Twin Peaks almost because he was like, well, you haven't got the budget to do the way I want to do it. So I'm not going to do it. And that's, you know, that's putting your heart over what you're getting paid. And there's nothing wrong with not going down that route and being like, oh, yeah, I want to get paid to get this film done. But if it's not going to your liking, or if you felt like it could have been better, I could have done more time and more money, then yeah, you, know, you should have said that or maybe done something about it or just said, this isn't right for me. It's not going to work out. Um, And sometimes there's a thing is, you know, cutting your losses. And I'm not saying he's done that or anything like that. But if it's true that, like, during the casting process, people start to stick their oar in already, then that's why loads of directors turn their backs on films for whatever reason. So there's only so much sympathy you can have for something like that. And especially since it's like, oh, if it was like a big success, you know, he wouldn't be moaning about it then, would he, if it was done really well. And also there's that element, like it happens with Netflix as well, where directors, I'm kind of going off on one now, but where directors um, are saying they want creative freedom. And, you know, if if only I was allowed to do what I want, but the studios got involved and they wanted to do this and that and this. And you always hear the bad stories about that. But you never hear the good ones, do you? And the reason for that is that because it will be the directors or whomever Um, moaning that they didn't get the way they wanted to do it. So you always think, well, it would have been better. It would have been better. And there are some instances where it's like, that's probably true. Alien 3 or something like that with David Fincher. Probably would have been a much better movie if he'd just been allowed to do what he wanted. And he was very vocal about the fact that he fucking hated that making that movie. Um, But then, you know, you get cases where you think, well, that's why a studio's there. That's why you have studio teams there. Because they're more experienced and they help make these films great. I mean, it's kind of like... What Marvel do a bit, maybe I'm not sure because I can't really say that, obviously from first hand. But you know they're very much they've got they know what they want and how they want it, and there's a consistency even though there's different directors. There's a consistency between all those films. And they do have their own visual um, certain style and flair, or whatever, and all this stuff that directors bring to it, obviously. But end of the day, sometimes a studio is right, <laughs> and things like Netflix where it says complete creative control. It's like, that's not a good thing. That's not always a good thing. It's about team effort. And you have things like, um, Duncan Jones's, uh, film that he did for Netflix. Um, which I can't remember about the deaf guy, um, in the future. And that was terrible. It was awful. And that's because he had free reign to do what he wanted. Like, here's the money. Just go make what you want. There was no one to reel him in at all. It's what they said about George Lucas with like everything, (laughs) um, but no, with like, well, Return of the Jedi as well, but also with the prequels and stuff, because he didn't have his producers there. They were just all sycophants saying yes, yes, yes to everything. It's George Lucas, of course you're going to say yes. When it's like, well, no, you don't have to. <laughs> it's, not necess- it's not. He's not necessarily right all the time. Um, but yeah, anyway, going off on one now. So Hellboy 2019 versus Hellboy 2004, the clear winner. Is Hellboy 2004 by Del Toro? Now, um, I'd be interested in what you guys think. and um, Maybe if I'm wrong, maybe the new Hellboy wasn't that bad. Maybe there were some theories or some um, bits in it that I missed that have a bigger meaning, a greater meaning that I probably didn't um, touch upon. Uh, and yeah, I'd just be interested to hear what what everyone else thought of it. Um, and I'm all up for hearing about why I'm wrong um because i get that at home as well um so you can follow us on uh at a new winter on twitter and instagram email us if you want a new winter podcast at gmail.com um i would also love it if you could just please go to patreon and go to patreon.com slash a new winter uh and we've got some tiers different tiers for different things that you can kind of subscribe into give you content and things like that um so we really want to start building that up because uh yeah at the moment um uh, we're doing this for free which is fine and if you can review us on your podcast platform of choice that would also be great but we'd really love it if you could just make a small donation um the smallest one is three bucks um for five bucks you get uh access to our exclusive feed where i'll be doing lots more stuff and if i make it to 250 bucks a month which would be lovely um then i'll be able to do a series uh on twin peaks and go through each episode one by one Um, which it will be great fun for everybody anyway thanks very much for listening to this guys and i will see you in hell boy
2: why do you fight for those who hate and fear you you were meant for this out of the ashes new eden will emerge
1: Okay, I'd appreciate a prophecy with more relatable stakes
0: Haven't we got to be saving the world or something? Yeah, okay, come on, let's get your game face on Yeah, come on, let's do this
1: you inside we do but it's not gonna work you know because i'm a capricorn and you're fucking nuts planning for your next trip